Welcome, dear listeners, to this special episode of the Didomi podcast. I am Wissam al-Salibi in Geneva. Many had thought that the historic Abraham Accords, where Israel made peace with four Arab states, ushered in a new era for the Middle East. Many had thought that the Palestinians had become irrelevant in shaping the present and future of the Middle East region. However, in the past two weeks, we witnessed not only a major armed conflict between Israel and Hamas, which has claimed the lives of almost 300 people, but also Palestinians holding Israeli citizenship took to the streets, Palestinians in Jerusalem took to the streets, and Palestinians in the West Bank took to the streets. The ferocity of the Palestinian anger caught Israel and the world by surprise. We have with us on this episode today three Palestinian evangelicals whom I will be asking questions about injustice in the Holy Land and how they see forgiveness, reconciliation, and justice in the context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Joining us from Beirut is Marwan Abu Zuluf. Marwan is an American is, is an American of Palestinian origin. He is currently the planting pastor of City Bible Church in Beirut. Prior, he served in a two-year church plant residency at Redeemer Church of Dubai. Welcome, Marwan. Thank you. It's good to be here. Joining us also from South Bend, Indiana in the United States is Daniel Banura. Daniel is a Palestinian from the West Bank. Daniel is currently in the U.S. pursuing a Ph.D. in Quranic studies at the University of Notre Dame, Indiana. Prior, he worked at Bethlehem Bible College in Bethlehem. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Wissam. Good to be here. And joining us also from Jerusalem is Rawan Sabah Munayir. Rawan is Palestinian, holding Israeli citizenship and living with her family in Jerusalem. She is currently a PhD student in Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Multicultural Education and Social Psychology. Marhaba Rawan. Marhaba Wissam. Hi. Now, all four of us are married, and with the exception of Daniel, we all have two children, right? <laughs> That's right. Right. Yes, correct. As we say in Arabic, Daniel, may you be next. <laughs> Thank you. Now, the first question I'd like to ask is, um, are you Palestinian and why? Are you evangelical and why? And I would like to give the floor first to Rawan. Um, I am Palestinian because I come from the land that's called Palestine. And my grandmother was Palestinian, my grandfather was Palestinian, and probably also their their grandparents were Palestinians. Um, and also I assume that my grandmother didn't have to answer why she is Palestinian, because it was self-evident. They had their own culture, their own traditions, language, food, that is different from other places like Egypt, Iraq, and, um, and Jordan. So um, one of the reasons I am a Palestinian that lives in Israel is actually the story of my grandmother that I would like to share with you, that in 48, uh, she had to go to the bakery to bring um, uh, the bread for the family. And when she went, when she um, went back to their house, she did. She couldn't find her uh, her family, and they were kicked out from their uh, homes in '48. And since then, Ni- 1948. yeah, yeah, 1948. 
and uh, since then she didn't have the chance to see them again uh, and then she got married and she had uh, her own family so uh, both my grandparents from both my dad and mom's side, side were kicked out from their homes in 1948 so that's why I am Palestinian and I am also evangelical because simply my parents raised me in an evangelical church. And uh, although the weaknesses that the, the evangelical church has, I still choose to, uh, to stay uh, in the evangelical uh, church. Thank you, Rawan. Daniel, would you also share with us if you are a Palestinian, why and are you an evangelical? especially that you're doing Quranic studies, does that, are you still evangelical? <laughs> and we would love to hear that from you. Tell, tell us. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a funny question. Actually, that's, that's one of the first questions that my in-laws asked me to make sure that I'm actually a Christian, not a Muslim pretending to be a Christian to, to marry their, their daughter. But yes, I am a Christian from Bethlehem. I am actually from the small town right next to Bethlehem. It's called Beit Sahur, or biblically, it's the shepherd's field. So my ancestors were the shepherds that uh, were tending their flock when Christ was born. So I'm a Palestinian because I am from the land, just like Rowan. My family uh, had been uh, living in, in, in Bethlehem area and Beit Zahor for hundreds of years, as far as we can tell. And actually, Palestinians, and especially Palestinian Christians, uh, insist that the roots, their roots go back to the Church of Pentecost in Jerusalem from 2,000 years ago. And the Christian populations continue to live in the land since the beginning of Christianity. Uh, my family is uh, originally Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. That's kind of the default uh, denomination in Palestine as a Christian, the Church of the East versus the Catholic Church in the West. But then my immediate family became evangelical, and I kind of grew up in that Baptist evangelical kind of family that is part of a, a bigger Orthodox family and, and kind of maintained that uh, evangelical identity uh, and it's been a, a tough journey to maintain that identity especially in relation when we understand and observe how evangelicalism in the West, especially here in the US how it had been dealing with issues like Palestine-Israel, with issues like justice and freedom and, and, and so on but uh, there's something very unique and special for me when it comes to the evangelical identity uh, kind of the centrality of the cross um, the specific personal work of Christ in our lives that has been very powerful and maintained kind of my relationship with Christ through that, um, despite all of these mm. issues that uh, we evangelical Palestinians and many evangelicals kind of have that kind of awkward relationship with uh, many forms of evangelicalism, especially in the U.S. Thank you, Daniel. Marwan, uh, are you a Palestinian? Because I, I, I believe you're American. Yes, Wissam, that's right. I am American, uh, but I also have roots uh, and identity here in this region. I, I usually describe myself as a cocktail because uh, my mother is Chaldean. She's from Iraq. Uh, my father is Lebanese and Palestinian. I was born in Kuwait and, and yet grew up in the U.S. Now, my family name, the Abu Zulaf family, uh, originates in Palestine. Uh, we, we've been there for uh, many, many generations uh, and as many families in 1948 uh, were, were forced out of their homes and, and, and forced uh, to, to leave the country. And so my grandfather relocated 
to Lebanon. And so uh, not only do I have uh, roots in Palestine, but also I have family there even now. So I have an uncle and cousins uh, in Bethlehem. I have other family in Gaza. And, and most of the Abu Zulaf uh, family are, are just uh, outside the Haifa area. And yes, I am an evangelical believer. Uh, my family background uh, isn't so. Well, we, we come kind of from a nominal Catholic background. Uh, but I am an evangelical believer uh, because uh, I really love it in the Arabic. Uh, we are in Gili, right? Uh, we are people of the gospel. And so as an evangelical believer, what that means to me uh, is that I see God's word as the final and ultimate authority. Uh, I, I find my identity in the message of the gospel uh, and, and, and also the, the fruit and the efforts in my life uh, are based on that truth. And, and I have redirected uh, my life as, as a result of what I believe uh, about Jesus. And that's what I understand to be an evangelical believer. And so, yes, I, I identify as a Palestinian and as an evangelical believer. Thank you. Thank you, Marwan. In Ephesians 4, we read that, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. We have seen in the past two weeks that the Palestinians are clearly angry. Judging from what we have seen in Gaza, in Israel, in the West Bank, and Jerusalem. So my question to you is, is the Palestinian anger at Israel righteous? I can tell you from my experience that the answer is yes. Because of um, I'm speaking as a Palestinian live in Israel. And uh, Palestinians suffer from injustice, inequality, discrimination, racism, privilege, power, abuse. And in the past two weeks, we saw that how the police worked with the settlers against Palestinians. And Palestinians had no protection. So, of course, they are angry. And if we are talking about evangelicals, encouraging thing is that the younger generation in, is uh, not asleep, and they don't see that uh, they they see that the church has voice and very strong voice in the context of injustice and oppression, and that we need to to take this role. We need to fight. Uh, for uh, for peace, we need to challenge uh, the hypocrites. We need to challenge the power. We need to challenge the injustice and discrimination and racism. It's an interesting question you ask because clearly there is such a thing as righteous anger, uh, and yet, uh, as sinners or as those who have not yet been perfected, can can we truly have righteous anger? You know, I think it's it's difficult. It's it's. It's complex because there are things uh, that rightly stir us up uh, as injustice. Uh, the only reason injustice would, uh, would affect us as a people, whether born again or not, is because we're created in the image of God. And so as those who have the Spirit of God living within us, and in an even greater way, we are either angered or disturbed uh, or, or whatever the emotion is. And so you're asking about anger. I think uh, there, there certainly are reasons to be angry. I think for me, being close and yet not present there, and yet experiencing 
things here locally and, and reading about things worldwide when it comes to injustice, uh, th- there are reasons to, to be angry. Um, what to do about that is, has always been the challenge, historically uh, speaking. Even, I think, from my experience and from my observation, both in what's happening in, in you know, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, as well as, uh, as, as well as other cases of injustice, as we think of kind of race relations in the U.S. and, uh, and what is the role of justice and how much should this church speak, I, I think sometimes what I've noticed is there's a hesitance, hesitancy for the church to say some of the same things that the world is saying. And so if we do have Muslims speaking up or atheists or secular people saying these things are wrong, I'm not sure why the church feels, and again, this is clearly very generalized, and we're just saying the church, you know, um, feels like, are we able to stand on the same uh, platform? Are we able to be angry about the things that the world is angry? And really, for me, this has been... um, emotionally draining and uh, and quite disturbing because i think unfortunately the world is speaking truth in places that the church isn't um and that that's not the way it's supposed to be that's backwards we we should be the ones leading uh, in the way of justice and again there there are lots of reasons for me it's it's uh it's not just kind of the injustices or you know, is it apartheid, and 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 what what should this solution look like? There are many things. For me, much of it is theologically driven as well, uh, as we consider the role of the church. And so, to go back to give you kind of a short answer, uh, are, are there reasons, are, are there things happening that should cause anger or frustration for the church? Yes, certainly. Uh, no one can dispute that. Uh, what what should be done? Um, I think that's part of the reason why we're discussing, right? Think thinking about this, and uh, very much agree with uh, Marwan. And I just want to, to add that um, also in the past two, three weeks, uh, with all the things that happened uh, inside Israel between Arabs and Jews and um, in the West Bank and in Gaza specifically, I saw many of my friends that are Muslims and that are not evangelical, not believers, waking up and expressing anger in a way that we we ask for justice we are fed up we are uh, we, we are saying enough and stop and it was amazing to see that none of my friends that were so apathetic they they, they couldn't stay uh, quiet but it was very upsetting for me to still and see that the church, while the world woke up and uh, it, it was very, they raised their voice very loud, the church still chose to be silent. Rawan, why, why, you mentioned that your Muslim friends woke up and were demanding justice. Why? Because no one can stand anymore the reality that we are living in. We saw in our eyes, we heard in our ears, this time the war was very much on social media, very much visual. Everything was documented. We saw how the army behaved, the Israeli army. No, nobody could say, I don't care, okay. Uh, I don't care, I'm not going to be involved in politics. Everybody, everybody felt the responsibility to do something to stop 
this situation. Are you close to Sheikh Jarrah? Yes. The the area where yes. the area where the evictions and the long-standing battle contributed to the grave escalation. Yes, we live uh, ten minutes away from uh, the neighborhood Sheikh Jarrah. I didn't have the chance to go, but uh, my husband and my family went to show support to the people. And of course, I was following uh, everything that happened there. And many times we heard even. We heard chirping, we heard, we heard demonstrations, we heard the different stuff that was going on there. How can you summarize the injustice in Sheikh Jarrah? Uh, it's the su- supremacy. This is how I say it. Supremacy, supremacy of the of the Jewish the, the Jewish people. This is how I see it. That this land belongs to us. God gave us this land, and we can do with this land whatever we want. We have the right to. That that that's what they say. They say the the their discourse is that the law the land belongs to us. Yes. And we have the right to it. Yes. Yes. So, so they feel that they 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 are better than any other nation, than any other people, and they believe that this land belongs to them and that they can do anything in the name of God. Yeah, the people that live there for more than seventy years, people that are older than the age of the state, has to leave their houses and uh, go find somewhere else to live. Mm. Daniel, so you moved uh, relatively recently to the U.S. before you were living in Bethlehem and working in Bethlehem Bible College. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to hear from you uh, about, is there injustice in the Holy Land? Is the pa- anger of the Palestinians that we saw in recent weeks, is it righteous? It's a hard question you ask uh, with some what is meant by righteous anger? And and I, I as if I wanna if I understand Paul correctly when he talks about anger and it is anger and and we see this on also in the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament it is anger at injustice right you see you see the prophet speaking up against injustice some of it is spiritual uh, religious injustice or sin some of it is social and corruption in the court and in the everyday life in um, in ancient Israel and you see Jesus with kind of examples of anger as well, for example, at the temple. And, you know, all of it kind of deals with issues of social injustice or social uh, sin and also spiritual sin. And, and, I, and I love what Rowan uh, said initially, that this anger is, is, could be easily explained if you understand the context. And this kind of relate, you know, why is Hamas or why did Hamas launch rockets at Israel? But the, the context, the greater context of what's happening in the land is a systemic uh, reality for the last 73 years of ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, of apartheid and um, forced displacements of Palestinians and military brutal occupation over the Palestinian lands. And uh, and what's happened and what's been unique here in this, in this kind of recent escalation is that all of Palestinians um, within Palestine and also outside Palestine have realized how unified they are in their own struggle against this kind of systematic racism and injustice that they're facing. It's not an issue between Gaza and, and Israel anymore. So it's an issue between Jewish supremacy and apartheid and colonization uh, by 
by the Israeli state against all Palestinians, whether they are in the Gaza, in, in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, or in what we call Israel proper today. So if is this righteous anger? Yes, it is, because it is protesting. It's standing up against uh, a systemic, endemic issue within the whole of, of what we call Palestine-Israel. Um, now, the Palestinian response to, to sin and to evil and to this kind of what is now and should be recognized by everyone as a system of apartheid is is dynamic, is varied. So you have the very uh, extremist kind of position of Hamas, of militancy, of self, of violent self-defense or retaliation against Israeli aggression. And you have protests, you have boycott movements, and all of these are expressing one way or other um, a kind of attempt to kind of deal with this anger and frustration and oppression in, 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 in different ways. The Christian position, um, I hope <laughs> for the Christian is to be angry and to be, uh, to stand against injustice and oppression. Uh, so, you know, many, you know, the vast majority of Christians in Palestine would stand against, you know, would, would hold a very strong position against what Israel has been doing to the Palestinian people and specifically to the Christians. So, you know, the bombing of Gaza Christians who live in Gaza are living under this bombardment uh, of, of Gaza, and they are struggling with trauma, with hurt. And I'm sure some of them, you know, maybe some of them also were injured or, or hurt by the bombing as well. Um, there's an issue with uh, how the evangelicals have been dealing with this, and it's a messy issue as well. And so some of us uh, also could be numb, and many, many Christians also could refuse to engage with these issues, whether it's because... They don't see a theological reason to engage. They see this as a conflict that is beyond what they can do, and and some of some of it also comes from a, a very bad place of of um, anti-Islamic sentiment that we as Christians are not gonna be side in side with Muslims who are also upset and hurt, and we decide through our kind of tribal biases to step away and be be away from that context and just kind of stay quiet. And there's a there's something that has to be said about the prophetic calling of the church, especially in the context of oppression. But many Christians do choose to be silent and quiet because they don't see that they can relate to their Muslim uh, uh, Palestinians and their brothers and sisters who are actually mm. at the forefront of this struggle. Um, so I think we should be angry. Um, I think we should respond. I think any kind of any kind of sin, any kind of deviation from God's goodness and God's uh, justice in the world or that kingdom of God that is not really being uh, implemented on earth, we should be angry that there is that sin that is kind of defaming God and defaming the other. But also we need to stand up. You know, anger is not just an emotional response. Our response to, to sin or to evil or to oppression is to stand up and is to have a prophetic response to what's happening in the land. There's a lot of work that has to be done in that field, especially for the evangelicals, whether in Palestine and also in the U.S. and in the West as well. Um, but I think we need to maintain that sensitive kind of spirit towards hurt and pain, and especially when it when it is coming out of that context of systemic oppression and violence towards people. Thank you, Daniel. True forgiveness and, and justice, they go together because they're a form of love. And I read recently uh, that... A failure to do justice fails to love the human community and God. But a failure to forgive fails to love your enemy and God. Hmm. 
I'm I'm a bit struggling with when you when you mentioned that we need to stand up, we need to have a prophetic response. You mentioned uh, accusing Israel of apartheid. You mentioned the word boycott. Uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions is the global movement that started in 20, 2005 uh, by Palestinian civil society calling for the boycott, divestment, and sanctions of Israel until uh, justice is fulfilled, until the occupation ends. Put yourselves in the shoes of the Israeli, the Jewish Israeli. Do you think that he's hearing that you love him? Put yourself in the shoe of the, suprem- the Jewish supremacist that you mentioned, Rawan. Is there anywhere in the Holy Land a call that is able to bring together forgiveness, love, and justice all together that that this is what the Israeli Jewish Israeli is hearing uh, from the church. Are we able to relate to our Muslim brothers and sisters and to invite them into forgiving and loving our the, the, the Jewish neighbor? Or are the Palestinian Christians echoing the Palestinian discourse at large, the nationalistic discourse at large? which is not Christian, which is not evangelical? Very, very good question, uh, Wissam, and very hard one to, to think about. As Christians living in Palestine, as Palestinian Christians, we are in a very, we are in a very awkward place between uh, Israel as a Jewish state and the Jewish people and between our, our own people, the Muslim Palestinians. And, you know, we share the Hebrew scriptures with the Jewish people, like the Old Testament. We speak the language of the Quran, our neighbors, our friends, those we where we share our... A national identity are Muslims. So we are in this awkward place to try to navigate th- that connection. Um, and so I know, and then the, okay, well, what is my response to all of this? How can I relate to the Jewish person? And how do I relate to the Muslim person? And that's always a question that I mean, we Palestinian Christians have to struggle with. Um, and, and that's kind of where, when we talk about the witness of Christ in the land to be a light and salt, and that's where it kind of really kind of, the rubber hits, a, hits the ground kind of in a way, in a very real uh, way. I think we struggled a lot and we continue to struggle as Palestinians to, to understand the Jewish story, to understand the impact of anti-Semitism and to realize the hurt and the memory of the Jewish person and how that historic hurt has for the largest extent impacted the way how Jewish people understand Israel and how they understand the land and wanted to establish their own kind of Jewish controlled and Jewish majority kind of uh, presence. Um, and we miss that. We, because of our own hurt, because of our own experience of Nakba, of catastrophe, and of, of this kind of systemic racism that we deal with, we cannot empathize with the person that we perceive, perceive to be the enemy, right? And, you know, how can we talk about peace? And how can we talk about forgiveness? And kind of that's your question, you know, between someone who has been actively hurt and abused by the other person, right? How can I have peace with someone that just invaded my house, taking over my property and stealing my furniture and beating me up while doing it? And what? how, how is it healthy for me to say, I love you? And what does that mean to say that I love this person who's beating me up right now or who's stealing from, from my house? It's a radical kind of position of love. And, you know, like it's it's hard because Jesus didn't give us an option. You know, he says, love your neighbor. And for me as a Palestinian, it is my Muslim neighbor and love my enemy. And in this case, it is 
a very real enemy in the form of the uh, Israeli state. So I have no chance but to love the, uh, uh, both peoples in, in a very real uh, way that is not really experienced by many people, I think. I think the Palestinian Christian position is, says that me loving my Jewish neighbor means that I find the humanity of that person and, and find God's image, the icon that he carries of God's image and likeness. And therefore, I refuse to I refuse to be an enemy with that person. I refuse to demonize or vilify or attack that person, but rather show uh, truth and speak truth to power to that person. You know, like if you love someone and you see someone that is causing hurt or harm or making mistakes, it is love that drives me to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is hurting me. And I need to speak up about this issue. Um, so that's kind of way we... we, we as Christians, we, mean, we maintain by saying, by emphasizing the humanness and the trauma of the Jewish people, but at the, at the same time, do not use that as a, as a cover for the crimes and the problems that are being you know, caused right now by the same people. So it is, it's a prophetic calling into speaking truth to power, into challenging systems of oppression, and of calling the Jewish people as well as the Muslim people to stand up for justice and what's true and, and, and pursue the biblical image of reconciliation and peace that is has to be grounded on on a system of equality and, and justice uh, for both for both people uh, rawan marwan uh, daniel said that he considers that the muslims as his neighbor and the jewish people as his enemy do you agree with what he said uh, it's it's interesting because certainly there's space for that to be the experience um and so, in, in in that case, yes, certainly that 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 is true, and it's it's a very unique perspective, isn't it? Because you have neighbors living next to you who are Muslim in the same uh, ethnicity, same uh, nationality. Then you have people who are living also very close to you that maybe could be considered neighbors as far as yeah. vicinity, uh, who are who are those who are attacking. Uh, so, if you're asking biblically, I think that's right. It could also be looked at um, that they're both his neighbors, and they're both his enemies, if mm-hmm. we're thinking of, mm-hmm. you know, spiritual uh, life and spiritual deadness. Uh, and, and so I think this is, this is a thing, and I appreciate, Daniel, what you said, because uh, it has to look different. I think there's a fear on behalf of the church to say, we can't speak, we shouldn't speak, this isn't our fight. Um, are we allowed to speak to injustices? You know, shouldn't we just submit to, uh, submit to all government and, and realize that, you know, our, our citizenship is in heaven? You know, I, I think I think that's um, it's not an appropriate understanding of, of the text. I, I think there are um, there are ways that we are called to speak out, uh, but but we must look different than the world. And I think that's that's what, why I appreciate what, what Daniel said. There has to be an understanding that we are a people who know Jesus, who suffered in this world. But we are a people who are called to suffer as he did. And we are a people who have been given a ministry of reconciliation just as he was. And, and yet this is a broken world. And so in those ways, yes, this is very complicated. But just because it's complicated, do we say uh, we're, we're too busy? Um, we, we don't have time? Or, or do we find it an excuse? Um, you know, there, there is so much to talk about, even just this idea of nationalism. Um, I, I think... God created nations, right? He created people. He created ethnicities. And I think uh, in, in an ideal 
uh, world, these things are, are beautiful. And, and we see as we read about uh, the beauties of eternity in heaven, that there are people from every tribe, every trunk, tongue, every nation. And, and so we see that ethnicity uh, and our diversity will continue, right? Uh, and, and yet as a people who believe that Jesus is King of Kings, there, there has to be a balance, you know, so I, so I think having pride in your ethnicity and loving your nation and, and wanting basic human rights uh, and national rights, th- these things aren't bad. Th- these things are, are good and, and we should encourage each other and, and work towards that end. Uh, but I think an idea of, uh, you know, nationalism coming from a, a Christian perspective, no matter the nation, uh, is 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 unacceptable in the sight of God to say that this is who we are first because we're not who we are first are, are dead in 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 our spirit and in our sins and we have been made alive and so from this position of uh, spiritual life, what is the the prophetic call? You know, what is our 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 duty to our neighbor, to our enemy, even if our neighbor is our enemy? Um, but I think it needs to be understood, and this is kind of the call to the evangelical church, that this cannot happen uh, apart from the church. We're the only people that really hold uh, the, the message of life and the message of true reconciliation. Um, will it be perfectly portrayed and, and perfectly done in this broken world? No. But should we speak into it? Yes, certainly. Um, I, I, I'll pause for a moment, but this is, this is kind of... Uh, I don't want to say the angle, but there are many injustices. There are many things that need to be spoken about. And for me, as, as we're, we're looking, you know, identifying ourselves as uh, evangelicals, as those who, who are formed by the Word of God and as those who are uh, submitting ultimately and finally to the Word of God, this is my concern. I think it was Rowan that was talking about um, Jewish supremacy uh, and, and much of the apartheid, much of the injustices that are happening are happening from a people who are saying that they are doing this in the name of God. Either way, like, you know, whether we perceive the Jewish Israelis as our neighbors or our enemies, our mandate is to love them. And the question is not, it's not whether we love them or not. The question is like, what does it mean to love someone who is subjugating you to these violent, oppressive realities? And that's kind of the challenge for the church. And that's why I think the church, uh, specifically perhaps the evangelical church, has a hard time figuring out the best way to respond to all of this. So this could lead them to be silent, to be to have kind of Islamophobic kind of sentiments, to be even stand against what's happening to the Palestinians and stand against the Palestinian response. And some of them have been complicit in supporting Israel and kind of adopting a Christian Zionist attitude to what's happening. And those who are active in the streets and in the protests or those who are writing, you know, like Rowan, or speaking and otherwise. So we have a very complex kind of relationship with with all of this uh, and it makes our Rowan job... is rioting? Uh, the article that <laughs> Rowan wrote. There is a, a complex kind of an awkward relationship we have with, you know, you know, the Jewish neighbor slash enemy and our own Muslim, Muslim neighbors as well. The, the mandate of Christ is to love the enemy. And then you see in Romans 12... Uh, and uh, Paul gives us a platform to, and gives many examples of how do you respond to the enemy. And it, it, there is, we were enemies to God ourselves, right? Through our sin. And then 
And then we have stopped being enemies because of the redemptive work of Christ and his love that he had shown us first. And now we're not enemies anymore. We are actually now friends and now we're part of the family. So I think we have a very strong kind of theological, biblical kind of understanding of what does it mean to be an enemy of God and what, and how do you respond proactively in loving the, the enemy. And there's this kind of radical love of embrace towards the enemy, right? Like you're my enemy, I'm going to come and embrace you and show you love. And that love is going to transform uh, you from my enemy towards my neighbor. Kairos Palestine, uh, a very important theological document and kind of deals with this. We refuse to be enemies. We want to see God in you, but therefore our response to you is to speak truth uh, and to challenge you uh, through this resistance of love to, to respect and understand how you are hurting us. And that could lead to this state of, of, of peace and justice that could be established. Daniel, you mentioned the boycott of Israel and Kairos Palestine, a document that was published uh, many years ago, tried to formulate a Christian approach to, to the conflict. And it included the notion of boycott, divestment and sanction, boycotting Israel as a global movement in order to force Israel to, to end its injustice. Now, I have a question to you. Is boycott or the BDS movement, is it a message of love? It could be. It, I guess it depends how you want to do boycott. There, we see examples of, of boycott in the scriptures where the whole idea of repentance is a form of boycott. I'm, I'm Basically, I'm saying that I'm going to boycott committing sin and I'm going to pursue a new different life. It's also the, the best kind of nonviolent way we can uh, resist uh, versus kind of militancy, which has kind of been adopted by many Christians. So Christians are saying, me finding God's image and likeness in the Jewish person could also mean practically that I put pressure on that person to understand uh, that what they're doing to me is immoral, is unacceptable. And that could take the form of economic boycott or and, and so on. And we see like this in the U.S. as well, in the... Uh, you know, civil rights movement and how boycotts have been moments where you are you are forcing, for example, white Americans in the South, like in Georgia, to be aware, hey, actually the system of, of segregation and Jim Crow laws are unacceptable. And this has been done in a, in, a, in a humane way to highlight the injustice that was committed against the black Americans through a nonviolent, creative kind of movement of boycott and, and what have you. So it could be, and I think it has, it, it can have that kind of Christian element. Uh, doesn't have to be a Christian form of, you know, of being, you know, doing this because I'm a Christian, but it's a nonviolent way that does not dehumanize the, the other person, you know, the enemy. And, and then hopefully would lead in the, in the Christian sense of basically helping the other person to understand their participation in injustice and maybe wake up and understand, hey, we need to actually change the way we're going. I think there's a, some theological grounding to, to all of that. I want to go back to the previous subject about forgiveness and how we should uh, act. And I do agree with Daniel that when we love someone, we are honest with him. We tell him what is the problem we tell him that you are hurting me. We are tell him. We tell him that what you are doing is is wrong, is bad, is against the word of God. God loves me the way He loves you, and I have the same right that you have in life. No one is better than the other. 
So I do agree uh, that when I love someone, I am not uh, accepting everything he does for me, to me and to my people. Because if I accept it, I have a problem theologically because if I believe that God loves me the same as everybody, if I know that I am equal in the eyes of God, then how can I see this as love? How can I accept this reality? So, so I do agree with this um, accountability when it comes to, to this. Um, also, I, I, I had lots of forgiveness activities. I was involved in many reconciliation discussions and talks. How it can be true forgiveness if we don't, if we don't challenge the, 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 the other side? If we can't bring change to the situation? I ask the question, how can the kingdom of God be here on the land if we still be silent? Like, what does the kingdom of God look like when we pray? that your will in heaven be on earth but how do we and how do we do that as a church first of all i think that the church should be pushing and encouraging this discussion to hold those in power accountable and also i think that this discussion here is very progressed for the church the church even doesn't have this discussion i would like to have a healthy good discussion about difficult questions like this. The church is still in a very primitive position. Why can't we have these discussions as a church? What is our vision? What can we do? How do we love our enemy? Who is our enemy? The Jews, the Jewish people or Muslim people? And how, how do we love them? And what is the real forgiveness? So, like biblical, uh, in a biblical uh, reconciliation, biblical reconciliation and biblical uh, forgiveness, because Jesus Himself challenged the hypocrites and challenged the power. I don't believe in like, okay, uh, like meet together and be happy and hug and kiss and worship together. No, this is not real. This is not honest. So I do believe that we need to speak out, try to change our realities. Thank you, Rawan, for your sincere thoughts. We discussed so far about the role of the church, about injustice, about your message to Jewish Israelis. Now, I would like to ask the three of you, what is your message to Hamas? Jesus, Jesus died uh, for your sins, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that our message as evangelical people? We're not first for people or against another people. Uh, we speak truth, and, and the only message we have that's different than all the messages in the world is we're all dead, yeah, and, and, and Jesus died in our place. And so our message primarily, whether to our neighbor or to our enemy, has to be uh, th there is another way. There, there is a true and living God. We have a living hope because of him. And so in all that we do, whether it's um, you know activism on social media or boycotting or or leading discussions or, or whatever it might be, as believers, it needs to look different than those who are doing the exact same things but who don't know Jesus. Now, what does that difference exactly look like? It, that's, that's part of the discussion, you know, but, but I think uh, this is one of, the, one of those steps to encourage and remind each other. We, we must speak because we are a people who uh, know truth 
we, we must speak truth and light into the darkness. That's, that's very helpful, Marwan. And I'm very thankful for that kind of theological grounding. I think uh, just to add briefly to what you said, um, and I and I kind of touched on this before uh, when I said I want to see God in in the Israeli, right? I want to see the icon, the image and likeness of God in in the Israeli. And by the same logic, right? I want to see the image and likeness of God in, in the Hamas person. And the discourse around Hamas, especially because of the accusation of being a terrorist organization. The challenge there is that we want to move away from seeing God and seeing the image of God in that person, right? And so when we, especially when we talked about what was happening in Gaza and the the discourse that was used by many pro-Palestine people um, is like, look, a hundred and some women and children were killed and this is a crime, right? And then we ignore half of the people who were, who, who died that they were men, right? And, you know, many journalists were killed, some doctors were killed, but then we're saying it is okay for Israel, as if we're saying, it's okay for Israel to have killed these Hamas men because they were terrorists. And and that just bothers me a lot because we are saying that because Hamas is violent, it's, you know, launching rockets at Israel, therefore they're terrorists, and therefore uh, it is okay for Israel to kill them because they are terrorists, right? And that's kind of comes from a very violent and I think anti-Christ kind of attitude where we want to remove humanity from Hamas and say they deserve to die. So yes, I totally agree with Marwan that, you know, we come from this place of love and saying, one, we understand where Hamas is coming from. We understand that this is a system of oppression and apartheid that has been going on for 73 years. It is It only makes sense that people want to act violently like Hamas does. Hamas sees itself as a legitimate resistance movement fighting power or violence by violence, and therefore rockets and so on is legitimate for them. They don't have precision rockets or tanks or Apaches. They can do what they can do, which is kind of in this case, these aimless and, and, and uh, rockets and so on. You know, um, so it, it comes from a place of empathy, it comes from understand an understanding of God's presence and God's image and likeness in Hamas, in those individuals, and then the radical love of the Christian that has to be shown, whether to the Israeli or to the person in Hamas, is like is is that challenge to embrace that person and show them how you know resistance can be done well. How can we also do the hard work of loving the enemy? Um, and it's a hard conversation to be had. And it's a difficult one that we we still have to you know give that space for. And we're not even ready to have that conversation yet with people like in, who are you know adopting a very kind of right-wing kind of religious kind of militant mentality but that is our mm. calling and we cannot but preach that gospel of love um, that sees the dignity and honor of every person and tries to uh, kind of do the work of christ of redeeming and bringing about a new reality of hope and love uh, for the for our life here and bringing the kingdom of god on earth establishing a reality of goodness and of wholeness in palestine for the for the person in hamas or for the soldier, the Israeli soldier who was bombing people in Gaza. And that's kind of the work, the hard work that <laughs> can and should be done by the church uh, as witnesses for Christ in the land. Yeah. I think if I can just add one one sentence here, the, the church must be gentle. We must be understanding. We can't be f- for Israel and against Hamas. We can't be for Hamas and against Israel. We, we need to, as what Daniel's saying, recognize well, what else would someone do? Uh, who doesn't have any hope, who's seen generations of, of their, their family die, 
uh, that, that don't have the hope of Jesus, of course they're going to attack uh, at, after enough uh, pressure and enough oppression. Um, we, we can also say similar things. I think early on, Daniel, you said many Palestinians uh, have difficulty recognizing the plight of the Jewish people and, and the injustices that have happened to them. Uh, because they are now being in a place of, of being oppressed, you know, as, as Palestinians. And so I think the church has to come with a bit more calm. Uh, and, and it's hard to see uh, the church being so for one thing. Again, everything is so politicized. It is so, uh, it's it's become extremes. And I think we've lost lost the voice of truth and gentleness. And, and we need that if there's any anyone going to listen to us. Uh, Hamas is not going to listen to any Christian that's going to be, we, you know, we, we stand with, I think I posted something about, uh, you know, bomb shelters being donated to Israel. Yeah, that's a good deed, and, and maybe it's misguided, but that, that now has closed the door uh, for, for, uh, for those who don't know Jesus because there's a, a connection that the church is for this person and against another. And, and yet we need to say we recognize the challenges on both sides. Uh, we we want to speak truth to the injustices and ultimately recognize that the only solution uh, is is to be made, made right with God because brokenness will continue in this world, um, no matter what peace treaties or no matter what things. And so we need that voice of, of truth and calm, uh, not these kind of bold statements that for some reason believers are, are, are making. Uh, it just it, it misrepresents our Christ and our message. Uh, and, and we need to remember that. We need to remind each other of that. I would like to add two points to, to this question. First of all, I find it a bit difficult to see it, to see the conflict or um, like between Israel and Hamas, because I don't see um, like um, I, I don't see them as uh, in a symmetric way. I don't see that they are equal. I see that there is um, that uh, there is power. And there is uh, using this power in a bad way, and there is a reaction for this. So, so I can't see uh, equality between both of them. At the same time, if I if, if I say that, it doesn't mean that I uh, I support uh, the oppressed side in a hundred percent of what of what they do, because we also need to be uh, to have a criticism. Uh, and also our our behavior and our reaction, and not only for our enemies. Many many try to use and to 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 make us like fearful from the the, the Hamas as an Islamic reaction and not as a nationalistic reaction, or not as a reaction to protect for protection and and resilience and uh, so. So, so I am also being careful of 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 these of this language. The second thing I wanted to add uh, from before that about nationalism that me personally I don't see contradiction between being nationalist and between being believer because I see I see it as um, um, uh, a principle of faith to be to be nationalistic. To, to love my identity, to fight for my people and for my land and for my history and for my narrative. I, I don't see that I need to be ashamed or I need to 
ignore this side of myself or my identity uh, because again God created us this way we are all different and we are all equal and we are all accepted and we are all loved and we are all valid with our different identities so me personally I, I can't see I can't understand how um, a believer can um, not be nationalistic actually I think that there is a strong connection between being a believer and also being nationalistic because I see it as a human right and I think as being faithful to my people and to be faithful is also what God what I think God wants from us to be also faithful and to love our people yeah, I I think I ground my identity in the in the identity of Jesus right in the in the incarnation right that God is Christ is fully God and and fully man so there is that the divine aspect his spiritual identity if you will is maintained fully and then his physical identity as a human who embraced humanity who embraced his identity as he was here on earth and that is present completely and holy so like my identity as a christian is maintained but then also my my physical identity my nature as a palestinian arab christian living under occupation is also maintained and you know and my identity with christ you know sanctifies my identity as a person as a palestinian and so these are not opposites um, that actually come together in a beautiful way and I would say that my Palestinian identity helped shape my Christian identity in ways that uh, like are, 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 are so profound for me for example my concern for justice my concern for loving the enemy and my understanding of the work of Christ all of this is informed by my context by how I understand myself as a Palestinian living under a, a military occupation um, so when I think about when I talk about loving the enemy and the enemy for in this case is the Israeli, I'm formulating this theology based on that Palestinian narrative that I'm part of, um, and that's what I think that's kind of and we have to reconcile our identities together in this kind of in this kind of way. And this is the best way I think for us as Christians to function, particularly in the Palestinian context, where we can reconcile both our faith, our spiritual identity and spiritual reality, with our own physical lived experience um, reality as Palestinians I love your uh, answer Daniel and I want to add that I moved to Jerusalem I, I, I was born in the Galilee and I moved to Jerusalem uh, in the past seven years and as it become life is becoming more challenging and more challenging like living in Jerusalem is really challenging because you see the uh, everything every day you experience everything very intensively and i was thinking it's i feel like it's a calling from god people who live in jerusalem it's a calling from god because to live under such difficult circumstances if i think that it's a calling from God, then of course I see my nationalism as part of my behavior as a believer, how, do, how I act, how I think, 
And I think that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That God has created us different. He has given, I mean, ethnicity and nationality. These are given from God, as as Ron was saying. This is something that has been gifted to us, and, and God created us in this way. So for us to overlook it and say there's, there's, you know, we should never think of that. I think that's unbiblical. Mm. Now, I think it does come down to balance. Um, I, I think, and I guess we can say balance and priority. I think Daniel, you talked about balance. Uh, we have to remember who we are in Christ first, because this is uh, this is our primary identity. But we shouldn't neglect who we are, because it does shape us. And empowered by the Spirit, God uses our ethnicity and our nationality and our skin color and our experiences and and, and all these things. And so, I, I think it can contradict. And I think there has to be space for it to be messy because sometimes what is physical is our nationality, right? Or our ethnicity. And so these are the things sometimes that we experience uh, and are stimulated more quickly uh, than, than the spiritual things. And so I think there, there is a balance. I mean, the scriptures clearly say uh, there is no Jew or Greek, right? No slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. And so this isn't negating that there are men and women and there are ethnicities because we see that in heaven, uh, at least the, you know, the, the, the ethnicities that God uh, continues to, he created that way. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament with the people of God. He used an ethnic people. And so we, we can't say that, that is completely written out now as believers. But as believers, we want to say, here's how our identity uh, is in priority and here's what God has done through us. And so... Um, I think it can be done wrong. It can be contradicted, but no, our, our who we are as a people is beautiful, and that's what makes the Church of Jesus Christ beautiful. That all of us from our different backgrounds uh, are, are are now found in Christ, and and I really like Rowan what you said that uh, how can we, if we ignore our our national um, identity, how can we be good neighbors? How can we uh, serve one another if, if we are completely uh, removing ourselves from where God has placed us. We can't. How can we pray for you? I uh, just uh, read an article that's saying, please stop praying. We don't want our your prayers. God, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace prayers. God said, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So, he is talking to the church. Please stop praying, take a position, and take an action. So, of course, I'm not saying that, no, don't pray for us. I'm just um, uh, like trying to say a message here that the church should not see its role only with prayers. We need to take a position. We need to be clear with ourselves and with our message to the world and to our people. Also, take action. We pray, 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 but we don't really know about what we are praying. We pray for for peace, but peace is very general. It's very vague. What are we praying for? What does justice mean to us? Let's talk about it. Let's preach about it. Yeah, so please pray for us. We need your prayers. Uh, This is my answer for you, Sam. The request I make for those who are outside the Holy Land is when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, remember Rowan, who lives in Jerusalem, that we're not just praying for a government or uh, a certain people. 
Uh, but let's remember as believers first that there are other believers who are Palestinian, like Rowan, living there, who, who, who are there ministering, called to be there in the difficulties. And so let's not forget our brothers and sisters as we vaguely pray, you know, for a, a certain city. Uh, and, and yeah, I think also um, pray for these souls. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Daniel, you were saying that most of the numbers aren't reflecting the men because, you know, they might be fighting and, and so th- do they, des- they deserve the death. And so we're not going to even count them or whatever it is. Remember that most of the people who are suffering don't know Jesus, uh, and that in the middle of this suffering, maybe some of the most difficult times that they will ever experience, losing most of their family, uh, th- that that they would know Christ, so that even though they may suffer in this world, they, they would not suffer for eternity. Uh, and I think the church forgets the eternal aspect because they're fighting for their agendas and for certain things. Uh, I agree with what Rowan said. I don't think we should just be praying, but I'm not adding to what she says. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to echo only what she says because I agree with it. We're just saying additionally that we need to remember there are people who are living and dying who, who won't know Jesus, and the church can't forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, for sure, I agree with all of that. Um, I, I can easily, I can quickly relate to what Rowan says, and we have a phrase in Arabic, "Adaf uh, al-Iman." Like the weakest of faith is to pray, right? Like this is the bare minimum of what you should do as a Christian is to pray. This is the, the weakest form of faith. And so I think, yeah, there is a place for faith and for prayer. We need to be praying. And yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's a spiritual aspect of salvation that uh, I want to emphasize. And yes, for sure. And we need to, and then be specific, praying for, for Gaza, praying for these kids who are alive today. 80% or so of them deal with PTSD and trauma, deal with all the, pray for all the Palestinian people with this open wound of hurt and, and, uh, and oppression that they face on a daily basis. You know, pray for the Jewish people. Pray that, you know, that, you know, there would be uh, a sentiment of love and reconciliation that would exist in, in both people as Jewish Israelis and the Palestinians. And, and also, honestly, like pray that God would open our eyes to to speak up for the weak and for the oppressed and to care for and love the mm. least of these. Um, the, the gospel Amen. is the gospel of, of liberation and truth and, and righteousness and justice. And, and the church needs to uh, uh, stand up and, and stand up for those who are being marginalized and ignored. And, you know, the, the tension in our faith has to be between action and contemplation. We contemplate, we pray, uh, we ask for God to be involved, but also we act. Um, so holding action and contemplation together in a very, in a, in a very delicate balance, perhaps. And we like we need our contemplation to inform our action, and we need to, our action to be uh, kind of embedded and baptized in our contemplation as well. But yes, pray fundamentally for justice to be established, for the end of apartheid and oppression and occupation. And for this new life, for this land of Palestine and Israel, be a land of goodness, and you know where swords and would be turned into plowshares, and where justice would roll like a like a like a stream, and uh, and may that you know may the kingdom of God come on earth on in Palestine as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Rawan, thank you, Daniel, and thank you, Marwan, uh, for your honest answers and i really appreciate 
uh, every one of you, uh, your your role, your ministry, your presence. I pray that God uses every one of you to build his Palestinian church, that is a church that will bring his kingdom to the Holy Land. And thank you, dear listeners, for Uh, listening to this special episode that we recorded uh, following what has happened in the past two weeks in the Holy Land. In the coming episodes, you will be listening to Evangelical Voice from Sri Lanka talking to us about religious, religious freedom advocacy in Asia. So tune in, subscribe to our podcast via your podcasting app, follow us on Twitter. And if you have any feedback, do contact us, email us at contact at didomi.co thank you once again and we look forward to having you on a future episode bye bye